The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, Pastor Brian is in Columbia preaching today. So uh, in a moment, we'll, we'll pray for him as well. Um, I do want to thank you. Uh, last week, I was in Morganton at uh, one, of our, um, one of the church plants that we help support at, at Coram Deo Church, uh, preaching there. And I understand that Brian uh, prayed for me during this service. Now, what he didn't know is that I was probably, by that point, already done, because, <laughs> because church there starts at 9, and, and they said, yeah, be there by 8.30, and I'm like, why do I have to be there for the band's sound check? You know, it's like, and then, oh, it starts at 9. Okay, that's, uh, that's cool, and, uh, but, but hey, here's the thing. God is beyond time, Right? So I'm sure God knew that Brian and you all were going to pray for me and applied that prayer even though it happened, had already happened. So uh, that's the kind of God we serve. So I want to open us in prayer. And uh, I know Jimmy just prayed, but uh, I want to start out, ask, ask uh, for God's help here. And uh, we'll pray for Brian as well as, as he's preaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day again. Thank you for the word of God. Lord, may it be to us as a honey on our lips. May it be more precious to us than gold or silver. Lord, may you speak to us today as you already have begun to speak, as you've already begun to move among your people. Lord, we pray for our brother Brian and ask that you, uh, uh, you would be with him today as he even at this moment is probably starting to preach. I pray that you give his hearers ears to hear as, as, we, as we ask for here as well. Lord, I just pray you, you keep him safe as you bring him home, back to his family. Uh, we thank you for him. And Lord, just be with our time now. And we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel 15. We're going to continue here with the life of King David who is broken and beloved. Now, in the last two weeks, Brian has given us a big picture of the brokenness of David. We've seen in the story where he, he saw Bathsheba bathing and decided to take her. And then she becomes pregnant, and then he, he's got to orchestrate something, so he brings Uriah, her husband, back home off the battle lines where David should have been in the first place. But Uriah doesn't take the bait, doesn't sleep with his wife, and so uh, David's got to do something to cover up his sin. And so he sends Uriah to the front lines where he is surely killed. Then David takes Bathsheba as his wife and the prophet Nathan comes and confronts him 
and, and basically entraps him so that David pronounces a judgment upon himself. And Nathan says, you are the man. Then last week in Psalm 51, we saw how repentance should look. How a heart filled with, with grieving over our sin and mourning over our sin and receiving the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God and, and what that looks like. Now today we're going to talk about an unfortunate legacy you see, these events in David's life set in, in motion a chain of events, actually kind of a, a rippling of events where um, things were happening on all sides to David as a result of this sin. Now, in, when, when Nathan confronted David with his sin, one thing he said was, you won't die. That was the grace part. But Nathan said, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And that's what we're going to see today. The evil Raised up out of his own house. Now, before we read, let me just set this up because there have been some things happening. We're here in, in chapter 15, and that whole uh, Bathsheba story was back in, in uh, I think, 11 and 12. Um, so, what's happened? Well, you got to remember that David has multiple wives. So, we're going to try to keep this, this straight. From one wife, he had a son named Amnon. All right, so we'll put Amnon over here. From another wife, he had a son named Absalom and a daughter named Tamar. Now, Amnon had a wicked crush on Tamar. She was quite beautiful. And long story short, uh, he, he, through the advice of a friend, he he uh, manipulated things so that she would come and serve him in his, in his room because he was pretending to be sick, at which point he took her and raped her. We're told at the end of chapter 13 that David heard of this and was angry, but he did nothing. He did nothing. What's he going to do? He's kind of guilty of the same thing, right? Well, Absalom, her brother, he's like, okay, sister, calm down. I'll take care of this. And after two years, Absalom waits. Then he gets Amnon into a situation where he has him murdered. Absalom then flees to his homeland for three years. David wants to go there, but he doesn't. He wants to go to Absalom, but he doesn't. Then Joab, one of David's generals, arranges to have Absalom come back to Jerusalem. But Absalom waits in Jerusalem two more years to even see David. 
And finally, David uh, has him approach. And that's where we pick it up today uh, after they met. And it sounds like at the end of chapter 14, it sounds like uh, things are all well, but they're not. So 2 Samuel 15 says this. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived at Geshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the get the Gilonite, David's counselor from the city Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. Here we see the first, uh, the first point today. Point number one, if you're a note taker, is reaping the consequences. Reaping the consequences. Absalom comes along. He finally gets to Jerusalem, um, meets with David. It's, it's not anything of substance. But then he begins to orchestrate and he begins to, uh, to posture himself. Absalom is dressing for the job he wants, not the job he has. So he gets a chariot, he gets 50 men, and he rides around. And... and what he's doing in this, in this passage is creating discontent and, and projecting a message of hope. He's the, he's the ultimate politician. If someone comes around, he puts his arm around them and, and kisses them and if, if that person is paying homage to him. Uh, otherwise, um, uh, He's, he's making himself appear to be the king. And what the, what the passage tells us is that he stole the hearts of the people. And built this conspiracy 
bigger and bigger, and the people had forgotten what God had promised, what God had, uh, they had forgotten whom God had chosen, uh, which was David as, as the anointed king. And they started to go to Absalom. Now this conspiracy is really a result of several factors that, that come about as a result of David's sin with Bathsheba. First of all, David lost his moral authority. How could he speak against what Amnon had done when he himself was guilty of the same? How could he speak against that? And then, and then he's not taking, taking justice upon Amnon, so Absalom himself has to do it and, and to avenge his, his sister. There's a failure in David to lead effectively. Absalom apparently is, is seizing upon something where apparently people aren't getting an audience with David to receive justice. So he's asking, well, I could give you justice. Oh, if there were only, if, if it were only me in charge, hint, hint, if you would only vote for me. And, and so the people's hearts are stolen. He exposes David's weakness of his reign. David is also ignorant of Absalom's true character. There's nothing righteous here. Not even in this idea of taking a vow. In a word, David is guilty of complacency. He's passive in his responsibilities. He's not acting as a king or as a father. He seems to know what his kids are doing, but he does nothing about it. He's complacent. One commentator called David at this point a pathetic figure of leadership behavior. And all of this stems from that, that sin. He has, he has repented. He has been forgiven. But there are still consequences. Jesus forgives us. We want you to hear that every single week. That when we come to Jesus Christ in faith, having no works of our own, as, as we just sang, we're not, we're not working our fingers to the bone. We are just letting go of our works and letting, letting God, we are trusting in God, trusting in Jesus Christ and the work that he did. And in that we have forgiveness. Our slate is clean. But... The Bible never says that we won't have consequences of our sins and our actions. Think about this. At the end of the passage we just read, uh, Absalom sends for Ahithophel, the Gilonite. Ahithophel was one of the uh, advisors to King David. So he's trying to, to um, kind of sheep steal, as it, as it is, one of David's key people of his, of his staff, of his administration. Ahithophel was regarded as, as a top-notch advisor. 
If you read on in 2 Samuel, I believe it's in chapter 16, we're told that the words of Ahithophel were like the words of God. He was that well regarded both by David and by Absalom as an advisor. So Absalom tries to to get Ahithophel to come to his side. Well, here's something you may not know. Ahithophel was the father of a man named Eliam. Eliam. Eliam was a companion of Uriah the Hittite. Eliam was also the father of Bathsheba. So do do you think Ahithophel, as, as Bathsheba's grandfather, has a little sore spot for what David has done? So he goes, to, he goes to Absalom. Now, as we said, on this side of eternity, we still have to deal with some of the scars of our sin, some of the, the consequences of our sin. And, the, and we may be our entire life with some events kind of dealing with those consequences. It's been said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you are willing to pay. So be careful. God says, be sure your sins will find you out. Now I would say to the believers here in this room, Do not take your sin and carry the weight of the guilt of that with you. That guilt has been erased by the life and the death of Jesus Christ and by your trust in him. But understand that there may be consequences that you still deal with. Now, while this is going on, or or shortly after, David composes one of his psalms. So keep your finger here in 1 Samuel, and if, if you have your Bible, flip over to Psalm 3. Psalm 3, uh, we, we have the, the heading here. It's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So we're going to kind of go back and forth here. So as Absalom's uh, conspiracy begins and begins to to rise up, let's let's get into David's thoughts here. Verses 1 and 2. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. You ever feel like that? Do you ever feel those voices that say, you know, there's no help for you in God? God can't help you out of this. Well, that's what the foes are saying. Is David going to take that to heart? Well, let's see. Let's go back to uh, 2 Samuel 15. And point number two here. Point number two is fleeing the stronghold. Fleeing the stronghold. Let's read in verses uh, 13 to 18. And a messenger came to David saying, 
The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him, all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the otherites, um, and all, all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. David flees Jerusalem. Now the abiding result of David's sin is potentially and nearly the loss of his kingdom. He abandons his stronghold. He abandons the city. Now that was probably a good idea. There were, there were many families. You, you kind of see here with the numbers of people. It was a pretty, pretty large retinue of people. And uh, many were families, children, all kinds of people like that. And to get them out of the city so that Jerusalem would not be uh, a site of a long siege and, and possibly the city being destroyed. So here we see David loses his stronghold and is forced into dependence on God alone. You know, up to this point in the narrative, there really is, David is not portrayed as doing much of anything. I talked about his complacency. Uh, in one part, um, right after the... Uh, um, the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, uh, one of David's generals is um, uh, attacking a city and he's about to overtake it. And he calls David on the phone. Well, not, not really on the phone, but he sends a messenger and he says, look, you better get down here. Remember, when David did that sin, he was supposed to be out on the battlefield, right? In the time when kings go to war and David's sitting at home and that causes that sin to take place. And um, this general call, uh, sends a message and says, look, you better get down here. I'm about to take this city and they're going to name it after me if you don't come. That's how lazy and complacent David has become. And now he abandons his city and he's put back into a place where he has to rely on God alone. So let's look back at Psalm 3 at a couple more verses. Verse 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. This is where David is at. 
This is where you might be. What's your stronghold? What's your place or situation where you feel most in control and most, most at rest and most comfortable? Well, I tell you, sometimes God boots you from your stronghold so that you can learn where your strength really lies. It's in God. David is able to say, you, O Lord, are my shield. You're a shield about me, the glory and lifter of my head. I feel like we could get Watson and Becky up here just to sing that song. You know, uh, you know as, as I'm preparing this week, I'm singing that old, Thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. And now you know why I'm never up here to lead, lead singing. But... Let me ask you this, what strongholds are you clinging to? What are the things that you must have in order to feel secure? Is it your job? Your money? Your 401k? How strong is that stronghold? Not very. A position that you might have, some power that you might have in, in, a, in the position that you do have, a level of influence that you might have. This is what makes me feel significant. This is what makes me feel alive and what makes me feel um, important. Now, all of these things are not in and of themselves bad. God may give you such things. God may give you a platform. God may give you a position. He may give you material wealth. He may give you all of these things to be used for his glory. But when they become your stronghold, that's when he says, okay, time out. Let me take that from you so that you can learn that I am your strength. God wants us to, to be completely reliant upon him. And as David leaves the city, that's what happens. His heart comes back to the man after God's own heart that, that he once was. Now, let's move on. Uh, point number three, we'll call this submitting to God. Submitting to God. And let's jump down to uh, verse 24. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? 
Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahamaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. Okay. Oh, let me, let me finish that. Uh, verse 31. And it was told to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Remember, he was the advisor. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of, Ahith- of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now here we have some of David's friends uh, and the priesthood bring the Ark of the Covenant out of Jerusalem and bring it to him outside of the city. If anything, the ark would be seen as a sign of spiritual authority for David. The question now is going to be, is David going to, is David going to use that? And, and I should more accurately say, is he going to misuse the ark? The last time I spoke, we talked about David bringing the ark into the city. And it's really what made Jerusalem the Jerusalem that we know of today. Uh, not today, but in, uh, in biblical history. Um, it's the city of God. It's the city of David. And the, and the ark was intended to, to remain there. And, and these two friends of David bring the ark out, well-meaning... But he says, no, take it back. David knows his history. If you were to go back into 1 Samuel, uh, around chapter 4, they brought the ark out as a kind of a talisman, a good luck charm, uh, to fight the Philistines. And they were defeated and the Philistines captured the ark. We've talked about that before. David knew that was not the proper use of the ark. The ark represents the presence of God. And the presence of God is not to be used. The presence of God is to be enjoyed and to be revered and to be worshipped. So David is not going to, to use the ark and so he sends, uh, he sends it back. And his words are such that he says, If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back. And I will see both it, the ark, and God's resting place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let let him do to me what seems good to him. Now this sounds like resignation. Like David is just, okay, whatever, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, Uh, I'm not going to sweat it, here I am. It's not that. Rather, this is wholehearted submission to a sovereign God. 
And that's where we come to. If, if God were to somehow, in one way or another, remove our strongholds, remove those things that we cling to for security and for significance, if God were to remove those from us, our posture should be whatever the Lord wants to do with me. David submits his well-being to God. Now we go on to read that he then talked to, to uh, one of these men and says, look, you're a seer, why don't you go back to the town? And the point is, he's like, you can report to me what's going on. David has left the city undefended, uh, and that means that Absalom could come in and just take the city, which he does, if you read on. And um, David is telling this man, okay, you can advise me. You can, you can be there and possibly counteract some of the wisdom of Ahithophel uh, in his dealings. And, and so David is, is now acting. He's now, he's now doing something. He's now being proactive uh, in his dealing here. And then we read that he, he and the rest of the people go up the hill to the Mount of Olives. Now I'm sure if Brian, well, Christina's here. You were on the Mount of Olives, yeah? Okay, so you can imagine what that looked like. Uh, I imagine what it might look like because I've seen pictures but I haven't been there. <laughs> so anyway, they, they are coming up the Mount of Olives, weeping, mourning. David is mourning publicly for his sin. This is a sign of having your head covered and weeping and so on. A sign of recognition that I have sinned. And it was public in his, in his repentance. Because the sin was public. The sin was something people knew of. And so from this place of desperation, David recognizes his sin and he weeps and finally turns to God in prayer and says, Lord, undo the counsel of Ahithophel. Make it foolishness. Now what does he say in Psalm 3? Let's go back there and finish that psalm. Verse 5, I lay down and slept. That's interesting. With everything that's going on, all these people against him, he's able to lay down and sleep. That's the kind of rest that submitting to God gives you. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is David's heart as he is in exile, so to speak, from his, from his stronghold, from his capital city. And he says, in, in summary, salvation belongs 
to the Lord. That reminds me of the book of Revelation. Seated around the throne and people are singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And unto the Lamb be glory and majesty, wisdom and power. As we think of David mourning, going up the hill from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, we think ahead many hundreds of years where another another Jew rode down that hill. Rode on a donkey that had never been ridden. And the people, as he enters the city, are, are waving palm branches and they're, they're saying, Hosanna, which means, oh God, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is Jesus Christ doing the the same route but in the opposite direction. Indicating to us that salvation does belong to the Lord. Salvation is of Jesus Christ. God doesn't just give us salvation. He is salvation. Jesus Christ is our salvation. Now, as we close out, I don't have any questions to put on the screen, but I do want you to think about this. We did a couple of readings and and songs today, and I, I appreciate Matt for that. Just talking about repentance, Matt raised the question, what do you need to repent of today? Sometimes we can get cold like David. We can enter a life where we're just complacent. And we're not really doing anything. We're not really following hard after the Lord. We're not into our word and and reading the Bible and soaking up the the, uh, wisdom of God. We're not praying as we ought. We're not learning. We're not sharing Christ with people as we ought. We're not as on fire as maybe we might, might have been. And you're clinging to a stronghold that does not provide what you need so as we think about this perhaps there's sin in your life that's made you complacent perhaps you've not sought the Lord as you once did perhaps your your trust is in strongholds of your own making so I invite you to think about that and as we come to the table to receive communion from the Lord Jesus Christ. The bread symbolizing his body broken for us, the the juice or the wine symbolizing his blood spilled for us, which, which covers our sin. We need to come with a heart of humility and repentance. The Bible says if you if you come to the table in Um, in an unworthy manner, which would be holding on to your sin, then you eat and drink judgment upon yourself.
So I invite you to the table today to receive from Jesus Christ. Imagine that he is serving you. That he is saying, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you. Receive it with humility, with faith. And if you're holding on to strongholds, let them go. Let them go. As I said, we're going to have communion. Uh, we'll start at the back as we always do. If you are a believer in Christ, this is available to you. You don't have to come and partake of communion if you don't want to. Uh, and if you're not a believer in Christ, we ask you just to refrain from this. This is not for you. This is for those who are uh, in Christ uh, as believers in Jesus. So come, we'll start at the back, uh, make your way down. Uh, feel free, don't, don't let the line behind you put you into a state of rush. Like, oh, I've got to rush through this and get, get going, keep this thing going. That's not our concern. Our concern is that you meet with Christ. As always, if, if you need prayer, um, I will be in the back uh, initially. I'll be up front here afterwards. Others will be available. If you need uh, to talk with anybody, anybody to pray with you, we'd be happy to do that. Well, let's go to prayer, and then we'll uh, open up the table. I will... Uh, take a moment, we'll take a minute to just pray silently, and then when I get up, the tables will be open. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, you are a shield about us, our glory and the lifter of our head. Lord, we cry aloud to you, and you answer us. Arise, O oh Lord, save us. Salvation, Lord, belongs to you. And may your blessing be on all your people. We pray, Lord, that each person here would come to a place where they know that Jesus Christ is their Savior. And I pray for those who are believers in Christ that we would have a, a fervency in following you, in following hard after you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.